Okay, I'm sorry to interrupt those prayers. I hope that you can continue praying this week, particularly in the growth groups uh, and uh, in your own daily devotions. And we look forward to praying together in our monthly prayer meetings. But let me, let's join together praying this prayer down the bottom. Uh, I invite you to join with me. Our Heavenly Father, please bless our growing partnership as we seek to make and mature disciples of Christ. By your Spirit, enable us to glorify you in all we do. Connect us deeply to Jesus and one another. Grow us in maturity and Christ-likeness as we serve others sacrificially with the gifts you've given us and share the gospel and love of Christ in our community and all the world. Amen. Amen. We're going to have our Bible reading and uh, we're going to get into the uh, next part of Philippians and then I'll open up those words. Thanks, Liz. Bible reading this morning is from Philippians chapter 1 verses 12 to 26. So that's Philippians chapter 1 verses 12 to 26. Paul's chains advance the gospel. Now I want you to know brothers and sisters that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble with me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labour for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. This is the word of the Lord. Just keep that open. Hey, um, isn't it amazing how on social media, things like Instagram, Facebook, you get a window into your friends' lives. You know, I could see a friend of mine was at uh, a concert last night. Uh, I could see that Tali had put a story on Instagram that poor Billy was feeling sick. I could see Alice, my wife, put a lovely photo of our daughter Chloe because she had turned 20 uh, this week. And uh, you get a little window, a little snapshot, and uh, it's wonderful to celebrate like, heart, all those kind of things. 
the important and the not so important moments. And today we're given a window, not only into Paul's experiences, but into his mind, into his thinking. This is, this is a great privilege for us, I think. It's more than just a curiosity of trawling through Instagram or Facebook, or it's more than just reading the extracts of a fascinating diary. We're given a glimpse into the main, the main thing for the Christian life, past, present and future. And the main thing is that the main thing remains the main thing. Okay, if you remember one thing from today's sermon, that's it. Uh, I don't know who said it first, probably one of those management consultant types. You pay like thousands of dollars, they come in for the day, tell you what's wrong with your business. But it's right, isn't it? It makes you ask the question, what's my priority? Why do we exist? What are we here for? And it's important that you keep the most important things in focus. That, that, that the most important things, that the main thing doesn't get pushed to one side. It's like the post office, you know. Uh, you, you remember the days when you could walk in the post office and buy a stamp? And post a letter? I mean, these days you line up behind the guy buying a birthday card and a little girl buying a pencil sharpener. And, uh, you know, it's, it, it, the post office used to be for posting things. Extraordinary, right? Uh, now it's turned into the stationery shop, which, you know, I love. That's fine. But it's forgotten kind of the main game. You know, posting, putting stuff in letters, sending it somewhere. The main thing's no longer the main thing. And the classic case, and this is a true story, classic case, British bus company hired a time and motion expert who told them the most important thing was to stick to the timetable. Like glue, stick to the timetable, no exceptions, which this bus company took very seriously. So they brought in a rule for their drivers, if you're running behind time, you don't stop for the passengers. <laughs> and so all around London, there's these half-empty buses <laughs> driving around, refusing to stop for queues and queues of passengers. Now imagine that, you're on your way to work, you're waiting for the bus, the driver, you know, he's coming, it's half full, you're thinking, okay, I'm good. Gives you a wave as he smiles and drives right past. He's just caught up two minutes not stopping there. Uh, see, the trouble is the main thing hadn't remained the main thing. Because the main thing when you're in a bus company isn't the timetable. It's moving passengers. doesn't matter how well you're running to time. If you're not taking any passengers, you're not doing the job. You've lost the plot. And... The Apostle Paul says, ask yourself this, if there's one thing for Christians, if there's one thing for church, if there's one thing for us, what is it? We're told here in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 to 26. And as Paul looks back at his time fondly with his brothers and sisters in Philippi, if you look at what he says, you'll see that there's one thing that's always in focus. It's the priority of the gospel of Jesus Christ above everything else. It's this magnificent letter, Philippians, isn't it? It's this big thank you, this joyful prayer for his brothers and sisters in uh, Philippi. Uh, and they're really the model church. They're a great church for us to model ourselves on as we think about where we go uh, and uh, how we lead people in the future. They're on track with God. They're in partnership together. And Paul moves to the body of this letter from his little introduction that we saw last week to the key priority for Christians, the main thing. Now, his Christian friends at Philippi had been deeply concerned about his welfare. You know, here he is, the apostle sent by God to bring the gospel to the nations. And here he is in jail. How's he holding up? How's this going to stop the progress of the gospel? Well, the first point you'll see if you're following the sermon outline there is he looks to the past and the present to see the progress of the gospel. See, Paul writes... 
confidently to his dear friends. He assures them that things, all these things that had happened to him in the past, had actually served to advance the gospel. This is extraordinary, isn't it? That he was locked up in a prison cell and that was advancing the gospel. He's giving us his testimony. He's giving us the goal of the progress of the gospel, which overrides everything else. His present circumstances, his personal inconveniences, his suffering, his imprisonment. He's going to go on trial and it's quite likely he's not going to survive. But the surprising effect, Paul says, of his imprisonment is there in verse 13. Verse 13, as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone that I am in chains for Christ. You see the whole Praetorium Guard, there's about 9,000 of them in Rome, all heard the gospel. Paul rejoices. Secondly, verse 14, other Christians outside have been emboldened to share the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ because of my chains most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and more fearlessly. So what you would have thought, humanly speaking, would have stopped the gospel has actually caused to advance the gospel. See, God is in control. And he uses the evidence of these things to show the priority of the progress of the gospel. Now, sadly, he goes on to say some are proclaiming Christ from false motives. But he says, so what? I don't care. As long as the gospel is advancing... He's so gospel-focused. He's so gospel-centred. The gospel is the measure of every single thing that he does. Is this a gospel opportunity? That's how I measure up every decision, every day, every moment. Now think for a minute how you measure whether you're having a good day or or not, or a bad day or not. What is it that makes a good day? What is it that makes a, a good day good or a bad day bad? Well, the Apostle Paul, we're given this window, aren't we, into his thinking. And he thinks like this. He says, being in chains means I've got a captive audience. (laughs) They can't get away from me, all those guards. Paul says, terrific, a great gospel opportunity, a great day. The whole Praetorium Guard now knows why I'm here. I'm here for Christ. And Paul turns what seems like adversity into a gospel opportunity. And I wonder if we put our minds to it a bit more often, if we could do the same. And so secondly, the second point, Paul moves from past and present to the future. And you know, point two, he's rejoicing that God's in control in the present and the future. See, one factor had in reality controlled the past. As he looks back, he can see this is something that's always true. It's not just true for apostles and special people, it's true for all Christians everywhere. It's true for us. And as he said in verse 6, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. You might feel like you're a good Christian or you might think you're going great as a Christian, but whatever is happening in your life, God who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. That's why Paul can look to the future. He can rejoice in the hope in the present because he reads the present in the light of the future. His imprisonment, his vindication, the honouring of Christ. In fact, come down to verse 20 there. The issues of life and death are secondary to Paul if Christ is glorified. He says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ 
will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Whatever happens, he wants to see Jesus honoured and glorified. And he knows that God's in control, whether he lives or dies. He's confident that God can turn anything in his life into a gospel opportunity. And he makes decisions every day according to what, how can I use this to proclaim Christ? Now, it's been great to welcome our team in, hasn't it? And we've got some of these student ministers from Moore College. I remember one of my highlights was always going off on Moore College mission. Uh, so make sure, they'll be heading off in a few weeks, so make sure you find out where they're going so you can pray for them and support them. But I remember being on my first Moore College mission. I uh, went out to St. Matt's at West Pennant Hills. And uh, it suddenly dawned on me, I've been a Christian for years, but I'd never shared the gospel with so many people in one week before than that week. And when I thought about it some more, I realised it wasn't for a lack of opportunity. It was just that I'd never intentionally taken up so many opportunities as they came up and I'd never prayed for them as much in one week for them to come. And the realisation had a deep impact on my life. And somehow it doesn't take long for other things to swallow up these opportunities, other distractions. And so we need to be reminded about the main thing. So now what do I try and do? I try and make my aim to always have someone that I'm meeting up with to do the word one-to-one. Always in my mind, I'm thinking, who am I meeting up with this week? See if I can be reading the Bible with with a non-Christian this week. I wonder if there's someone you could meet up to read the word one-to-one with this week or this month or in the next three months. It's something I challenge each of our members of our ministry to be doing. I said, if we're not doing this, how are the people in our congregations going to be doing this? make the time to find someone who's not yet a Christian and read the Bible with them. Can you see that for Paul, because the spreading of the gospel is so central, it's the main thing, it's what determines whether it's been a good day or not, or whether it's been a good day for the gospel. Gospel opposition is turned into gospel opportunities, and he loves nothing better than that, it brings him joy. So then finally we come to the joy, the joy, don't we, point three, life and death now, the priority of the gospel in the progress and sorry the priority of progress and joy in the gospel that's what we need to be focusing on right paul kind of raises the stakes he sets up two alternatives life and death in a very powerful way he asks us what's the benefit of life and what's the benefit of death for the mission of the gospel and he compares it so i don't know if you've ever done this but this is pretty challenging i found as i read through this this week verse 21 He says, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, yes, Paul is in a life, literal life and death situation. And so that's why this is so challenging and so personal. But it's it's real for him. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm going to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labour for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. And so convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I'll continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. What's the apostle going to choose? He's torn. He'd love to be with Christ. But he knows the gospel work needs to go on. It's more necessary at this time for him to grow that work. So he can see the Philippians and the Christians' joy and faith grow. 
and then in verse uh, 25 and 26, he, he, he makes that conviction so clear. This is his priority. And it got me thinking this week as I was trying to put this into practice because I found this quite challenging. I don't know about you, I found this very challenging. What is it that gives me joy? I want to challenge you with that. What is it you delight in and rejoice with, with thankfulness? What is it that you could turn into a gospel opportunity this week? Because we owe our salvation to the work of Christ. And so to live is Christ. To keep going in this gospel mission together. Because he's working through that. So in conclusion, I guess... The partnership offers us a very practical way of assessing how we're going with that at the moment. So I'm delighted that we can do that together. To be able to say, what's the main thing for us? You know, lots of verses say diversity.